is we're going to do a quick overview of both of these visions, and we're just going to go through the Scriptures and explain what they are and help you understand the terminology, the language that's in the text. And then we're going to see that God has a plan for this world. And remember what Zechariah is about. the, The people, 70 years of bondage and captivity for Israel are over. They're back in the land. They had begun rebuilding the temple, but they hadn't finished it. And so God is asking them to continue, just continue in the work. But what Zechariah is about is he's telling us what he is going to continue to do in the nation of Israel. And so what we'll see is in the first, I think it's the first six chapters of the book, there are eight visions, and those eight visions were all given in one night to Zechariah. He gives these visions and explains these visions. We're going to try to understand those visions over the next few weeks in a a quick way, and then we'll see what all those visions combine to teach us. Then the second half of the book of Zechariah is just going to blow your mind. So we're going to have a great time with this. Zechariah chapter 1, look with me at verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man was riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were there red horses speckled in white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? Wouldn't you ask the same question? What in the world is this? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth. And behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then lifted up mine eyes, here's the next vision, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is obviously a difficult passage, and you have designed it so, so that we will study, so that we will labor and work to understand 
your message for us. Help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What a passage, huh? How many of you had revival reading that passage this morning? It's a tough, tough deal. Now, what is this time period that's being dealt with in the book of Zechariah? It's from the restoration of Israel back in the land after the 70 years of captivity all the way to the end of the millennium. There's information about all of that until the return of Christ to this earth and the end of that reign on earth. All that information is in the book of Zechariah. So let's start, and you'll forgive me if there's not an outline for this message, but we're just going to go through the text and explain the text and try to have an understanding of what God has for us. How many of you want to learn something from God's Word today? You're going to have to do it on purpose. So have your Bible in your hands, have a, your, your pen for your cross-references, and be ready to go. All right? It's good to see these young men. Look at this. They're all sitting up. they got their Bibles in their hands. They're ready to go. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, let's start in verse 8. I saw by night, and we looked at that Sunday night before last, what that means. If you weren't here for that service, you ought to get that CD. You'll be amazed at what's found just in that by night as we trace that through the Scriptures. But then it says, A man, behold, a man riding upon a red horse. A red horse. Now, red, of course, is blood, and we understand that that's worship. It's also judgment. We're not going to take the time to go there. We'll speak, we may be there later on in the service. But Revelation 6, you have that red horse that brings judgment to the earth. So here, that is what is denoted here. And he stood among the myrtle trees. Remember myrtle? That's Hadassah. That's Esther. So this is, this is talking about Israel. And look at where Israel is. It says, and they were in the bottom. In the bottom. In a low place. And that's, of course, they've just come back from 70 years of captivity. How many of you think that would be a low place? How many of you want to go live in Detroit? We, we've talked about what 70 years of abandonment can do to a city, to a culture, to a place. Not only that, but it had been destroyed. That's where they're living. That's what it's like. All right? So they're in a low place. Then look at what it says. And behind him there were red horses speckled in white. So there's just all kinds of horses that are there. What in the world is that talking about? Well, these horses we'll see are God's divine messengers who go to and fro in the earth to do reconnaissance, to look at what's going on and to report back about what's going on in the world. Now, how many of you think that sounds a little weird? There's lots of weird stuff in the Bible, right? But he explains to us what it is. Okay, so now look at verse 9. Then said I, O oh my Lord. Now look at the lowercase l on that Lord. So this man that he's talking to, this angel that he's talking to, there's two angels here. There's an angel, and then there's the angel of the Lord. There are two different angels that are spoken of, and we'll identify that in the text. And I said, Oh, my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show you what these be. So he's going to explain what these horses and all this is about. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Now, who has the Lord sent to walk to and fro in the earth? Who goes to and fro in the earth? Hold your place here, of course. Go to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Look at Job 1, seven. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. All right, you see that? Look at Job chapter 2 and verse 2. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Bible talks in the book of Revelation about the seven spirits of God, which are the seven eyes of God that go to and fro in the earth. What is this? These are the messengers of God, the angels of God, who go throughout the world doing God's business. We're not going to take the time to go there, but Hebrews chapter 1 tells us what are the angels. They're ministering spirits. So that's what's being referenced by these horses, but they represent God's divine power, God's divine agents being sent throughout the world. All right, so that's verse 10. Look at verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord. So these are the horses talking back to him. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, so the angel of the Lord, now they're talking to Jesus. Jesus is standing among the myrtle trees. There's another angel there that's talking with the man. And these, these horses come back and report to Jesus Christ. And look at what it says. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are, I'm sorry, verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. All right, so here they are. They are at rest, and that's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. Uh, let me give you an example of what we're talking about. Again, keep your place. Keep a ribbon there in Zechariah. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. This is a similar request that's being made. Revelation 6, look at verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? All right, so these are people that are, that are persecuted during the tribulation, and they're there under the throne of God, and they're saying, God, how long until you bring judgment on these nations that are coming against us? Go back to Zechariah chapter 1. This is a very similar request, and we'll see that. The whole world's at rest. And look at what the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, says to the Father. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. Now, remember, we've looked at that term, the Lord of hosts. That Lord of hosts is used many times in the book of Zechariah. And it's the idea of leading angels into battle. So if you look up Lord of hosts in your Bible, it's always the Lord leading angels into battle to come against the nations of the earth. All right? So he says, the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? All right, so now, Lord, we need Father, are you going to have mercy on your people now after 70 years? And notice where Jesus Christ is. Jesus is in the middle of the Jews. He's there with them. He loves them. He's among them. He's not forsaken His people even though they had to go into judgment even though they had to go into punishment and, and captivity. Look at verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me and said unto me, Cry thou, saying... So now this is what Zechariah is supposed to prophesy. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
I am jealous for... Now, I want you to notice something. I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. All right? How many of you think God cares about Jerusalem and Zion? Right? Look, at your, look in your Bible at Psalm chapter 2. Psalms 2, 6. I believe it's a little warm in here. Can, we, uh, can someone care for that for me back there? Psalm 2, verse 6. There's a reason why the ladies have blankets on their row back there. If you can't hang meat in here, people go to sleep. All right, look at verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God cares for Jerusalem and a very special place in Jerusalem, the hill, Mount Zion. He's coming back to there. He's coming back. He really cares about it. Now, back in Zechariah chapter 1, I want you to notice something that's very interesting. He doesn't say that he's jealous for his people here. And as you look through this chapter, you won't see a reference in, in these two visions. You won't see a reference to the people of God. It's about the land. The people of God are still estranged from God and need to be brought back to Him. That's why He's sending the prophets. That's why He comes and sends the Messiah. Because His people will remain estranged from Him until the tribulation. Why? Because blindness and parters have come to the Jews. That's what's coming, but look at what the text says. I am jealous, the middle end of verse 14, for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. In verse 15, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So now God, what does it say? He is sore displeased with the heathen. These are the people that came against Jerusalem. And I want you to think about all the people that have come against Jerusalem. You had the Babylonians came, the Assyrians came against Jerusalem. Then the Babylonians came against Jerusalem. Persia wasn't hard on Jerusalem, wasn't hard on Israel. Persia's not listed there. And so it's interesting, all the heathen that have been hard on Israel and on Jerusalem, the Greeks, the Greek Empire, they weren't terribly hard on Israel, but the Romans were. The Romans were. And what they did was they, they helped forward they helped forward, what's it say? Look at it with me. What did they help forward? The affliction. They helped forward the affliction of God's people and ultimately the affliction of themselves. And I want you to think about this all through history. Remember, Zechariah covers the time from the Babylonian captivity. And what's that? Babylon. All the way through the end of the millennium. Who are the people that have brought the affliction forward for Israel? Well, we talked about Rome. Think about this. In 49 AD, Claudius, the emperor, who was just an imbecile, he was crazy, he banished all of the Romans from the city of Rome, or all of the Jews from the city of Rome, along with the Christians, because they were fighting over Jesus. And so he banished all the Jews and all the Christians from Rome. We understand what happened. Vespasian had gone, the, the, the general Vespasian had gone and was attacking and, and putting a siege around Jerusalem. Of course, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus told them that he was going to do it. He told them. He told the Jews this was going to happen. 
So Vespasian puts a siege around Jerusalem, and then Nero dies, that wonderful godly man Nero dies, and Vespasian goes back, and there are three emperors in between uh, Nero and Vespasian. He becomes emperor. His son Titus becomes the general there, takes over for him, and destroys Jerusalem. Destroys it, leaves rubble. Now, I want you to think about something. By the time John, the apostle John, is writing the book of Revelation, the Christians in Jerusalem are worshiping on rubble. They're worshiping amidst just horrible devastation. Remember, the apostle Paul ends up taking an offering for the poor people in in Jerusalem, and that was before the devastation of Rome. It was a terrible time. By the time you get up to about 130, 135, Hadrian comes and he tells them that he's going to rebuild Jerusalem as a, as a gift to the Jews and he changes his mind and builds a Roman colony. And it's terrible. He builds a temple to the goddess Jupiter on the spot where he thought Jesus had been crucified. And then he built a temple to Apollo on the temple mount at the spot where the, where the Jewish temple had been. That's what Hadrian did. The Jews were horribly persecuted. Then, after there was a revolt because of what Hadrian had done, he said, no longer, no Jews are allowed to live in Jerusalem. It's against the law. No Jews. And he named it Palestina. He had called it Jupiter Capitolina as a worship to his goddess, Jupiter. And then they named a portion of it Palestina, and that's where Palestine comes from. They hated the Jews. And you can go all through history and see battle after battle, Jews being persecuted and tormented. Go up to 1516, think about this. The word ghetto comes from a place in Venice where it was just a little island in Venice that had a bridge to get to and a bridge to get off. They destroyed one bridge, so there was only one bridge on, one bridge off, and the Jews had to stay in this little ghetto area with a guard posted. Why? Why? Because the Catholics despised the Jews. That was 1516. 1517, you have the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther nails his 95 Thesis to the, to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And you think, great, there's freedom. It's wonderful now. The Jews are going to be free. The Christians are going to be free. But the problem is you have people like Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote this book, The Jews and Their Lies. Now, this is not an original. How many of you can tell that that's not... An original. But he wrote this book called The Jews and Their Lies. And he said the Jews are such hated people that we need to take away their property. They should not be able to own anything. And if they are to subsist at all, they need to have a job like sweeping out barns. And so all over Germany, whether it's a Catholic church or a Protestant church, you had these images that were built called Judensows. And, of course, a pig is very offensive to the Jewish faith. And they would have, it, and, and in these sculptures, it's Jewish people, um, like nursing on, on a pig. And so that is carried out through. When 1492, we understand that Columbus comes here, but at the same time, the pogroms are announced in in Spain, and then the Inquisitions in Portugal and in Spain, and all of these things to destroy the Jews, to kill them and persecute them. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're helping the affliction forward. These Gentile nations despising the Jews. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. 1917, the Jews are allowed to go back. We have the Balfour Declaration. General Allenby goes into the Promised Land, and he... he allows the Jews to come back in, and so now everything's okay. But we need to understand that liberals and Protestant theologians, they cannot stand Israel. This just happened. This is from 2012. 
This is from an article, November 2012, Anti-Israel Christians Still Further the Controversy. And so here's what we have. There is a, there is a, a joint ecumenical, that means different churches together, comes together to write a letter to the governments that would be dealing with Israel. And so you have these different groups. Um, it is, now listen to this, the letter from the United Methodist, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and other clerics, what they did was they, they challenged Israel to pull out of the Gaza Strip, to pull out of Palestinian lands, and to, for the United States to stop supporting Israel at all because of the atrocities that they're committing on the Palestinian people. It's all against Israel. It's all against Israel. Nothing about Hezbollah, nothing about Hamas. It's all about the occupiers, Israel. And you can imagine this. The Jimmy Carter Center has since endorsed the ecumenical anti-Israel appeal. Right? So here we have the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church in America. They spoke out against it, and they said that we need to stop the atrocities on both sides, as if there's a moral equivalence between Hamas, Hezbollah, the Palestinian Authority, and what Israel has done, as if there's an equivalence. That's going on right now, folks. Why is that? Because it's all of that ignorant teaching that Israel, Israel was replaced by the church. God's through with Israel. Now God works through Christians. And so... We end up with a situation where even today, Christians, Christians, supposed Christians, right? What are they doing? They're helping the affliction forward. It's going on and on and on. Look at what it says in verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. A line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. What is that talking about? A line, we understand his house is going to be built, the temple is going to be rebuilt. Is that right? But it also says that a line shall be stretched on Jerusalem. What is, what are the boundaries of the promised land? You know, again, we have this idea that all those prophecies were fulfilled when the Jews went back in the land. They have a tiny portion of the land. I want you to think about this. Here are the boundaries of the land. It starts in the north at Mount Ararat. Where's Mount Ararat? That's the whole lower third of Turkey. On the west, it includes Cyprus. Isn't it interesting what's going on in Cyprus? They're a part of the promised land. It goes down, if you follow the, if you follow the curve of it down, it goes all the way down to Cairo in Egypt. It goes down, it includes most of Saudi Arabia. If you go on the south, if you go around to the east, it's to the Euphrates River, and the Euphrates River is on the western or on the eastern coast or the eastern border of Iraq. So from the lower third of Turkey to Cyprus and Cairo to Saudi Arabia and Iraq, that's all the promised land. How many of you think there might be some blood spilled for Israel to have that land back? God says He's going to do it. How many of you believe God? You know what it's going to take? There's going to be blood flowing to the horse's bridles in a valley called Megiddo. It's coming. It's coming. And God is making these promises in the text. Look what it says in verse 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Notice again, he's not talking about the people. He's talking about the land. Why? Because we will see at the end of Zechariah, finally, the people of God turn to him. And then he says, you're my... Let's look at it. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. Might not be familiar with it. Let's look at it. I'm sorry, Zechariah 13, I should say. Verse 9, Zechariah 13, 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. Look at what it says now. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. So now he's dealing with the people. Now he's talking about the people, not the land. In chapter 1, he's talking about the land. And of course, talking about the land, he's dealing with the inhabitants of the land, right? But you have to get this. All of Israel, all of Israel, all of the Jews are not back in the land in Zechariah chapter 1. It's just a remnant. God's going to force all of them back in the land. How does he do that? Look at Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So what's he doing? What's he going to do? He's going to have kings turn against Israel. Turn against the Jews, I mean. So that the people go back to Israel. What's one of the leaders that he used to do that? This is terrible. Adolf Hitler. Do you realize how many of the Jews are back in the land now because of what Hitler did in Germany, Poland, and Austria? Is that right? You all understand that? It's unbelievable what has happened to those people, and yet God still loves them. He still wants them back in the land. Zechariah chapter 1. Go back to Zechariah 1. He's going to comfort them. He's going to spread it. He's going to spread their borders. Now, let's look at the next vision. So that first vision, it's all about God is aware of His people. He knows what's going on. He is going to comfort Jerusalem. He's going to expand the coast, and He's going to bring judgment on the enemies of God. And that's primarily what the second vision is about, is the way that God is going to bring judgment on the enemies of Jerusalem. Look at verse 18. Second vision. Then lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Four horns. All through the Bible... That word horn is a sign of power. It's a sign of power. Look, just, we'll just look at one cross-reference to verify this. Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah chapter 48. So go back to Jeremiah chapter 48. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, so Jeremiah 48, 25, The horn of Moab is cut off, and his arm is broken, saith the Lord. So his power is removed, and his ability to make war. His authority, his horn, his power in his right arm, it's broken off. So that's the idea of authority and powers. So back to Zechariah. So when we see these four horns, here this is a vision of four horns and four carpenters. Four horns and four carpenters. 
All right, so we're back in Zechariah 1, look at verse 18. Then lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Okay, so the horns. These are the powers, the horns that have scattered these nations. Now, there are four of them, but there's only a problem with that. There's been more than four nations that have come against Israel. So what's this talking about? When you look at the, that number four throughout your Bible, it's dealing with completeness. When you look at the angels that stand on the four corners of the earth. So there are four points to your compass, north, south, east, and west. So these are the four horns. These are the horns. These are the enemies, the powers, the nations that come against God from all over the world. From all over the world. Let's get an understanding of this. Look with me at um, Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered, what's it say? All nations. So this is the idea. From every corner of the globe, four corners, the four horns. Okay, back to Zechariah chapter 1. And now look at what the Bible says. They have scattered, they have scattered, we're in verse 19, the end of verse 19, Zechariah 1. These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Let's look at that. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30. Look at verse 11. For I am come to thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee. All right, so he's going to make a full end of the nations where the Jews have been scattered too. All right, so look at what it says again. I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So this scattering, it's a part of the punishment, but he's still, he is correcting them. He's not destroying them. Do you see that? Look at chapter 50, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. Scattering. Jeremiah 50, verse 17. Now, I, I just have to say this. I don't know if this is loving and kind. If you're used to our daily bread, this is probably an unusual type of message for you. But at some point, we have to move from milk to meat in the Word of God. Amen? And, you know, 10 steps on how to stop biting your fingernails, you know, you can get that from any self-help place. If we're going to study the Word of God, we have to go into the Word of God. And I, I just love this. I think it's profitable. All right, so here we are. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 17. Israel is a scattered sheep 
The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. See that? God's saying, they're a scattered people. And now God is going to judge the horns, these nations, these powers that have scattered His people. God is going to judge them. Go back to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah 1. Look at verse 20. All right, so those are the horns. What about the carpenters? Verse 20, and the Lord showed me four carpenters. Now, how many of you think it's weird? I was listening to James Knox, and he said that this is Karen and what's her brother's name? Richard. <laughs> it's the carpenters. <laughs> I think that's funny. Um, nobody in his church laughed either. I heard it on the tape. They all just ignored it. We preachers are an odd bunch. Um, so what in the world? How many think that the... You know, you have many of you who have read the Bible, you've seen that the horn of his power and you've seen that. What about these carpenters? Isn't that odd that God is going to use carpenters to deal with these people? Well, ultimately, what was Jesus' vocation? Any goosebump moments right there? That's pretty cool. And he's going to send some representatives. And these four carpenters, these are how God is going to judge these nations. And look at what he says they're going to do. Verse 21, Then said I, What come these to do? These carpenters. And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, the carpenters, are come to fray them. To fray them. What is that talking about? They've come to fray them. We don't use that word. You think of a, oh, a, a garment, the end of a garment being frayed. That's not really what this is speaking of. How many of you have heard of, of deer fraying their antlers? Any of you hunters? See that? What are they doing? They're rubbing them on the tree until they fall off. They're fraying their antlers. So over time, God is using these carpenters to chip away and chip away and chip away. Fray these world powers. And I want you to think about something. This is how relevant the Word of God is. I want you to name for me a prosperous nation right now. I want Now, of course, we as Americans, we're more prosperous than the rest of the world, but how many of you think America is doing well? Name for me a prosperous nation. Name for me... Well, Yvonne said China... Well, China is doing okay. They're developing militarily, but the nation itself is falling apart. Their infrastructure is horrible. It's just horrible. Their people, they've killed three-quarters of a billion babies. And their infrastructure is falling apart. It's an amazing thing how these nations are being frayed through all different types of, of avenues. And I want us to see if we can figure out how God is going to do this over time. Let's see if we can figure out how these carpenters... And you know what I like about this, a carpenter? Notice that it doesn't say an artist. When you think of a carpenter, how many of you think of, okay, let's move this over here. You think of a guy swinging a hammer, right? That's, that's the idea of the carpenter. Now, that doesn't mean that, that no carpenters are careful, but that's not the image. The image is destruction here. 
the image is a, it's, it's a manly destruction that is a chipping away over time of these powers. All right? Um, look with me in... Oh, let's, let's go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. And look at verse 20. So the people have been scattered. Now God is going to deal with these horns. What is He going to do? Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 34, look at verse 20. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, even I will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle, because ye have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till ye have scattered them abroad. So these are the nations that have shouldered through Israel. They've used their horns to scatter God's people. What's God going to do? Verse 22, Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. When does that happen? The millennium. Is that right? So what he's going to do is he's going to gather those nations, and he's going to destroy them. And, and we understand that that all happens here in the book of Ezekiel. Now, go with me. Go with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. When is this going to happen? <coughs> Acts chapter 15, verse 16, or verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 13. And after they had held their peace... James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Remember what's going on here. A bunch of Christians have gathered together. Don't call it the first council. If, don't call it the first council. A council in the Bible. Every time you find the word council in the Bible, it's a gathering of people to destroy God's people or kill Jesus. Okay? Isn't it interesting how those words come into Christian use? Council? How about the word crusade? You know, Billy Graham crusade. How many of you think that word crusade is helpful in evangelizing the Jews or the Muslims? How did that come into our discussion? Through a concept of replacement theology, bad theology. Words mean things. And when you say the word crusade to a Jew, how many of you think that's going to be helpful? Now, if, you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when the crusaders took place, when the Catholic crusaders went into Israel and to reclaim the Holy Land from the Muslims, they killed everybody. Jews and Muslims, whoever they found, they didn't care because the Pope had told them that, that any sin that they committed on crusade was forgiven. So they were completely unrestrained. They'd have contests to see how many babies they could fit on the end of a sword. Words have meaning. Anyway, here this is a gathering of the believers in Jerusalem. They've come together for what purpose? Well, there were Christians that were saying that you had to uh, bring about the Jewish law. You had to accept the Jewish law in order to be a Christian. And, of course, the apostles and the apostle Paul, they all come together and they say, no, this isn't what needs to happen. All right, so verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. 
Simeon, that's Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. See that? Visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's us. That's the church age. That's where we live. That's what's going on right now. Verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Notice what it says. Verse 16. Would you mark that in your Bible? After this. After what? After the Gentiles. After God has taken out a people for his name from the Gentiles. After he's done that. When is that? After the rapture of the church. What's God going to do? After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And now look at what it says. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. God, Jesus Christ himself said, he is going to do this. Isn't God awesome? After the church, after the rapture, after we're gone. Remember what it says that in, in uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 26. Uh, he doesn't want to be ignorant that blindness has, in part has come into the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So there's a blindness there. God's going to take the church out. And here we have God dealing again, setting up His temple, dealing with Israel. Back in... Um, Go back to Ezekiel chapter 6 with me. Just a couple of passages and we'll be done. Ezekiel chapter 6. I want you to understand how God, what tools God is going to use to fray these nations to prepare the way for the Antichrist and the one world system. How is God going to do this? What are these four carpenters going to do? Ezekiel chapter 6. Look at verse 17. Oh, that's going to be hard to find, isn't it? Ezekiel chapter uh, 5 and verse 17. You know what? Keep your place in Ezekiel 5. Let me show you Ezekiel 14 first. How many of you think it would help if I used my notes? All right, Ezekiel chapter 14. And look at what's going on in verse 19. Or if I send pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off uh, from it man and beast. So if God decides to destroy a land, it says, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Now, there's a couple of things that we learn from that. Number one, notice Job saved his daughters. Noah saved his sons and their wives. Daniel saved an entire nation. All right? And they did it in their righteousness, right? They did it through their righteousness. They led these other people to righteousness. We need to understand something. Right now, right now, young people, I want you to think about something. Your parents can't save you in the day of judgment. It's a personal decision. You know, this whole idea that, that the children of believers are naturally a part of the church when they're baptized as a baby, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. 
Here they're saved by their own righteousness. Even though those men influence their families to follow them, they, if God's going to judge, you're going to have to the righteousness of Jesus Christ appropriated to your own life. That's the law of individual accountability. All right? But notice what this is saying. When God's going to come and destroy the land, people won't even be able to win their own families. How many of you have noticed that it's getting harder and harder to lead people to Christ? Now look at what it says. Verse 21, For thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I send my, what? Four sore judgments. Remember, he is sore, displeased. He's going to send four sore judgments upon Jerusalem. Now let's count them. The sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. That's what he's going to use. All right, now go back to the Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 17. So I will send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence, and blood shall pass through thee, and I will bring the sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. These four horns. This is what God is going to use. And I want you to think about something. This is, this is just reality. We need to understand what's going on. Financially, the world's in collapse. Do you all get that? And what is the, resp what is the result of that? Famine. Famine. Uh, crops will stop growing. People are going to be dying. There are people dying all over the world because we have eth ethanol in the United States. Because there's not enough corn to feed the people in the world. You understand that's going on right now, right? Right now. That's where we are, and that's where we're headed, and it's going to get much, much worse. Sword. Where have we seen this before? Go back to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. When is this going to happen? Do you remember what we saw in Acts chapter 15 after this? I'll ribble my temple. Is that right? Look at uh, Revelation. You're at Revelation chapter 6. Now look at Revelation chapter 4 before we go to Revelation 6. Look at verse 1. After this, I looked. Behold, the door was open in heaven. After what? Look at the verse right before it. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After the church age, after this, after God calls out a people for His name, calling out a people for His name, how does He call out a people for His name? Look at chapter 4, verse 1 again. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. Snatched away. He's going to take out a people for His name. And then He's going to establish the kingdom. He's going to establish His throne. He's going to establish His temple. He's going to have that throne of David on Mount Zion. What comes before that? Revelation chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, so it's Jesus opening these seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. Wait a minute, we have these horses again. I saw a white horse, and he that sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So now you have all this, these peace treaties, and this, all of these nations coming together, uniting in peace with each other. Then look at what it says. Verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. 
And power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. It was given unto him a great what? Sword. Then you have a black horse, and what's happened to him? Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. So what's going on? Now there's famine. There's not enough food to feed the people. Then look at what it says. Verse 8, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given over them to kill the fourth part of the earth, to kill, look at what it says, with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. We're seeing those four sore carpenters. And what is God doing right now? He's setting it all up. Financial system going away. Peace treaties. Everyone's saying peace, peace when there is no peace. They want peace, but they're rejecting the prince of peace. And all the world is coming together. What about pestilence? I want you to think about pestilence, disease. How many of you understand that everyone, all of science is talking about these germs that are resistant to antibiotics now? How many of you have taken an antibiotic that doesn't work anymore? Would you raise your hand? What's happening to the world? That's all in their blood. It's already there. This is where we're headed. And it says that all the way back in the book of Zechariah. What do we have? We have the nation of Israel. We have Jesus Christ in the middle of the nation of Israel. We have the prophet of God saying, cry peaceably, cry comfort to the nation of Israel, to, to the land. God is going to rebuild the temple. He's going to expand their coasts. He's going to bring these four carpenters to fray these powers throughout the world. And then he's going to build his temple. That's the promise of the word of God. And that is the continuing promise. The Bible says all the holy prophets have prophesied about that day. So what do we learn from this? Practical things that we can take home with us. Number one, believe God. Amen. Believe God. When we can take the Word of God and go verse by verse by verse and explain what God has promised, and then we can look at the history of the world and see that it's happened, and then we can look around us at what's going on, and we don't know when God's going to do this, but we can sure see it being set up. Amen? Here it comes. Here it comes. So number one, believe God's Word. Number two, are you an enemy of God or are you a friend of God? Are you a child of God or are you a child of the enemy? There's only two families in the world, God's family and Satan's family. Do you remember what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees? You're of your father, the devil. But Jesus Christ made it very clear in John 1. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Are you saved are you saved? Do you believe God's Word? So number one, believe God's Word. Number two, make sure that you're saved. And number three, are you studying this? Are you studying this? We were talking about this in Sunday school hour, that there are many believers, people that are saved, who could not handle this kind of teaching. Why? Because they have not exercised themselves to do it. Is your individual study of the Word of God, your personal diligence 
and studying God's Word, is it aiding you as we come together and study? Or are you lost? Are you lost? What is your diligence? I want to take a minute and do it. Let's just finish up with this. Go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. So God is talking about Jesus. Who Paul's talking, whoever wrote Hebrews, God, right? Is talking about Jesus who came after the order of the high priest Melchizedek. Now look at verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. That's mature, right? Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So here are my questions to you. Number one, do you believe God's Word? Number two, are you born again? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him alone? And number three, are you studying God's Word? Are you strong in the Word? Are you strong in the Word? Or have you been neglecting it? Look, here in these last days... God has not chosen to use biblically ignorant people. He has chosen to use people who are strong in the Word. Grace Baptist Church, are you strong in the Word? Are you diligently studying His Word? Are you investing in it? We have a wonderful discipleship ministry here. If you would like to be grounded in the Word, we have trained people to teach you the Word of God so that you can teach someone else. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're so busy. We're so busy with sports and with work and with life and with family reunions and with everything else, and we don't even have time to either teach or be taught the Word of God. Folks, we got our priorities messed up. We need to get back to the Word of God and its emphasis in our lives. Amen? I hope that the Lord will speak to your heart through that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.